we know the answer to this one. <laughs> and uh, and then he came out here, and I believe the ball he hit out of the ballpark was 117 miles an hour with a trajectory that was roughly about head high. Welcome, everyone, to a special opening day edition of Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, joined here by no one this time. No Phil today. I can't really fully talk about the circumstances, but uh, Phil has been suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. I know Phil is uh, so very, very sorry. He prides himself and thinks of himself as a man of faith, um, as there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos and that'll be a home run, and so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. Uh, but uh, don't worry about Phil. He will be back next week. Normally, if this happened and uh, something came up as it did this week, then Phil and I would just uh, take the week off. But it is opening day, and the M's got minnesota out, so there's no game today, which makes a perfect time for me to get on the microphone and, uh, and do this thing. So um, in honor of uh, you, one of the 15 listeners out there, um, and only one of the you know nine or so that doesn't have Boyd or Smeraldo in their last name, I uh, appreciate you, and uh, so I'm going to take this pod solo today. It's definitely going to be an abbreviated version of what we would normally do. No conversation, just me getting my points off here. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get into it. have my thoughts on the general season, some takes, if you will, my least favorite word in all of sports commentary. Uh, I hate the word take with all of my, my passion, but I guess I will give you some predictions or thoughts on this year. Um, and uh, just to note that this audio that you're hearing now was preceded here by uh, a roughly, or two two roughlies actually, from Jerry Depoto and from Justin Hollander. Hollander's was incredibly for us because he was literally discussing on the Root Sports broadcast in spring training how his wife thinks he sounds like Jerry Depoto, and then uh, he said that uh, the thing that Jerry Depoto says all the time, which is roughly. So that was hilarious, and Phil caught that one, and uh, we rejoiced in that. So I look forward very much uh, to seeing the love affair between Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander continue just as it has with Phil and I over the past few years. But uh, I'm going to crack open a beer. It's it's hard to do a podcast by yourself. And so um, drinking one of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's Broken Skulls American Lagers. Um, absolutely fantastic. I'm sure these are meant to be poured over your head in the middle of a, of a wrestling ring um, and, and uh, splashed together as Stone Cold would. But uh, I will just sip on mine like the exact opposite of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin person that I am. But um, this Mariner season is exciting. There's just no way around it. There's been a lot of momentum leading up to this point from the step back, reimagining whatever you want to call it in 2019 um, to get to a point like this where the Mariners are either in contention or near contention. And, you know, last year we got very, very close to making the playoffs, and that felt great, but um, I think there was a, a, a little bit of a wink with last year's team about how limited that team really was and what that team was really actually capable of doing and how good they were, um, you know, kind of 
you know, run differential, fund differential, all that stuff. Now the team gets to start fresh. They're zero and zero. They're not a 90 win team as they were last year. Um, they're trying to get back to that point, but with probably a roster better equipped to actually do it. Can they do it? Or, you know, are they going to get lost in the Petri dish of an MLB season? We don't know, but uh, I do know this team is better. And overall, this team is good. Um, it is flawed. There are there are holes on this roster uh, that we'll probably cover up or talk over in, in the next little bit here. Um, but uh, this is undoubtedly one of the best Mariners teams on paper that we've seen heading into a season in quite some time. So I feel like this year's team is either the team and this is the year or this is the year before the year um, in where the team kind of has to ramp up after some success this season, even more so from what we got this past off season to really go full bore into 2023. Either way, uh, expectations for this team, I think should be at the playoffs. And if, if they don't make the playoffs this year, you would hope it's because, you know, they were up against a really stacked American league and it was just hard to, to crack it in. But the, the playoff size has expanded. The roster is better. The expectations set from last year. This team should contend for a playoff spot. And if that's not the case and they're not anywhere close to that uh, come October, then uh, might be some harder questions to deal with. But um, on, on like I said, on paper, we should be there. Um, overall, I thought this offseason was a massive success for the Mariners for lots of reasons. I think replacing Kyle Seeger's power was something that was of utmost importance for what they were going to do this offseason. Uh, specifically at third base, they did that. Eugenio Suarez is a guy who is... Uh, contended for NL home run crowns for a couple years running now. Uh, even with the down season he had last year, there were still glimpses of that uh, masher player that's in there. Um, defensively, I don't know if much can be counted on him at this point, but that was honestly the case with Cal Seager by the end of that um, that run. And the vibes are maybe a little bit better, if not definitely better, with Eugenio Suarez than they were with Cal Seager. Uh, I don't think Phil and I got a chance to talk about this, but... Um, on a recent Mariners spring training broadcast uh, that was actually run through the Cleveland Guardians broadcast. The Guardians broadcasters were discussing how Kyle Seeger had come over to Guardians players in the uh, in the dugout and explained to them how frustrated he was uh, with the Mariners uh, general manager and the direction of the organization. And for a player to be um, talking about that with the media, as Kyle Seeger has done in Seattle and um, kind of a, the worst kept secret in the world of his distaste for the organization um, and the direction they were headed is one thing, but uh, to do it for another team is just very bizarre to me. And, uh, you know, Kyle Seeger, franchise legend, probably best third baseman that the team has ever had, if, unless you count Edgar as a third baseman. Um, appreciate all that he did. It was fun to watch him play. Uh, that shit doesn't fly for me. So, um, yeah, Eugenio Suarez seems to be a much... Uh, much less jaded dude playing third, if nothing else. Uh, and there's legit baseball reasons to like him as well. Jesse Winker, I think, is a legitimate bat who uh, has proven to to crush right-handed pitching um, from the left side. Spring training was rough. I think only two hits, uh, and the second one hit was an infield single. Certainly not what we're expecting out of Winker, and so that has obviously got to get better. Um, but uh, getting a bat like that wasn't possible, I don't think, in free agency because of, you know, for, for what Winker is making, you know, get, getting that similar level of bat would have cost this team over $100 million over the course of several years. And so uh, to, to do that in a creative way where you're kind of taking a little bit of Suarez's contract or taking Suarez, who's a little bit of a contract to just eat um, at the cost of, albeit beloved roughly podcast prospects, Brandon Williamson is tough, but um, guys like Jesse Winker, in theory, 
uh, in, in peak Jesse Winker, do not grow on trees. And so getting him was great. Uh, Adam Frazier, I think, is really what this team needed. Um, they're just a, a, too often with this team last year, just saw empty base paths and not having guys who can consistently get on base and uh, you know create havoc and um, and to, to get innings going, to get rallies going. Adam Frazier is that. Well, we'll talk about him later, but I have high expectations and hopes for what he can do um, from a batting average perspective and just getting on base uh, to get things moving and really catalyze this offense. Then he added the goddamn Cy Young Award winner and Robbie Ray. Um, I think this kind of fell on the rug because of when it happened, right? It happened before the lockout had started, um, basically, you know, 11th hour type of deal right before that went down. And then you kind of forget about it. And, you know, the, the steam of it uh, really goes down. But if, if it happened when the Red Sox had signed Trevor Story and, and instead were signing Robbie Ray at then, I think people would be losing their minds. It was an awesome addition. Um, he is uh, a very, very gifted pitcher um, and very gifted posterior, as has been well documented on that guy. But uh, to have a legitimate top of the rotation, uh, dependable ace who could challenge uh, for 300 strikeouts is just going to be really fun to watch. I mean, he's an awesome, awesome player and uh, definitely what this rotation needed. Uh, they didn't overspend on a bloated contract like Story or Simeon or Seager or uh, Correa. Any of those guys are, are great players, obviously, that would have made the team better. Um, however, <laughs> to, to get them, you have to shell out $100 million over the course of several years. Um, and I just don't know if that would have is really what this team needed. I think that the, the team had um, opportunities to do that, that, you know, seemingly like Trevor Story and Chris Bryant had offers from the Mariners. And I think several other guys did too. They went elsewhere. And so, you know, to, to hang that against the Mariners front office, maybe that's just because they haven't engendered a lot of goodwill over the past few years. That's certainly valid too. But, you know, they, they tried to get these guys and put out what they thought were contending offers. And, um, in some cases, maybe even equal offers, and it didn't work out. So, oh well, right? Move on. I think the team is is in fine shape to uh, to do similar types of machinations in next offseason. Um, so, overall, like I said, my expectation is that this team is uh, very fun to watch down the stretch, involved in things, if not um, very much in things uh, towards the end of, of this next season. But uh, I do feel that the team is primed to make a major move at the deadline um, rather than try and focus everything on free agency um, heading into next year. I feel like this team is primed to, to push the chips in to get a piece or two um, to, to make it over the finish line, um, similar to what the Braves did last year, just to kind of fill out the roster. So that is uh, your boys' overarching takes on this Mariners season. But I have lots more to say. Starting with, um, I can't believe it took, took me more than 10 minutes to say this guy's name as we're talking about the 2022 Seattle Mariners and good things that have happened. Julio Rodriguez is going to be your starting center fielder from day one. Um, Julio Yarmel Rodriguez is his, his middle name. He, uh, kid earned it, right? Spring training, 14 hits and 33 at-bats, three home runs, including an inside-the-park home run, three stolen bases, an OPS of 1.304. Um, which, you know, very small sample size, but uh, he proved that he belonged. And uh, just, it's so much more than the numbers with with Julio. It truly is this palpable, physical presence when he's in the batter's box. He's such a, you know, it's weird to talk about a guy this way, but he's such a unique, like, looking dude in the batter's box. He's so big. You see him burst out of the, out of, uh, the, the batter's box going down to first base. Um, just amazing speed, power that he plays with, and the charisma 
is you know the J Rod show, all of that is is um, is <laughs> exuberant and authentic, right? It doesn't feel like it's this thing that he's um, you know his agent is telling him you know you got to play this up and you got to make the fans more likable. He's just himself, and it is unbelievably charming. And uh, you know to 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 see this story play out as this really great success story in terms of development where the Mariners have had Julio Rodriguez in their organization or had scouted him, I guess, in January of 2017. So here we are a little over five years later to see this come into fruition um, and for him to become the player that, uh, you know, was at least hope we hoped he could be is amazing. So that is uh, a real win for the scouting department and, and for, for this organization. Now he hasn't played a major league game yet. Hasn't had a major league at bat. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's inevitable that he's going to struggle. Jared Kellenick struggled mightily at times last year. Julio will find himself in that. It's how does he get out, right? Because the talent level he's about to see is much higher than he's ever um, played with or played against in his career. Um, he's probably going to strike out a lot for how aggressive he is in, in terms of his, his approach at the plate and the pitches he's about to start seeing. And once kind of the book gets written of how to get him out, it's how does he adjust to that. And uh, that's that's going to be his challenge and the Mariners' challenge to get him out of that when that does come. But uh, my God, this is... Um, about as exciting of a prospect for every reason as I can remember um, with with the Mariners. The only time that's even close is when Felix is breaking in uh, in his spring training. And gosh, I don't know if that was 2005 or what that was, but throwing so hard that his hat was falling off of his head when he was uh, down in Arizona. And so to have something like this coming uh, amidst all the other excitement that I just talked about with Robbie Ray, Adam Frazier, Jesse Winker is, um, is really cool. And I, I can't wait to see him play and all the results that will come with it. But um, in 2018, Julio Rodriguez had a quote in a story by Kate Prusser when she was writing for The Athletic, um, and he has a quote that says, I want to break baseball. And uh, if anyone was capable of doing it from players that I've seen come through, it seems like Julio. And breaking baseball, I think, means a lot of different things. Obviously, you know, incredible performance, championships, those types of things. But in terms of the personality and, and kind of, uh, this this face for where the the game could go, he is primed um, in a way that um, a certain other former Mariners hyper prospect center fielder was uh, a very long time ago. Um, and so it's uh, I don't know I've probably said exciting forty times in this segment, but um, here's one more. And I'm overall just also happy that the Mariners did the right thing. They're not messing around with with Julio's service time. Um, that certainly could happen if he has to go down to AAA and it ends up all going out in the wash of, of his service time anyways, but um, they're giving him the chance. And from a center fielder perspective, I, I don't really know what else they were going to do because if they weren't going to keep Billy Hamilton, uh, and I, I just don't, they probably would have put Kellenick back in center field, and that uh, didn't look super pretty last year. So yeah, Julio is not just the de facto guy left without an outfield position, but I think legitimately the best center fielder defensively that the Mariners have. So it made a lot of sense to keep him on the roster if for no other reason than he is your best defensive center fielder. But uh, there are lots of other reasons. Two other notes. Well, many other notes. <laughs> Two bullpen arms that have uh, gone down for injury. Casey Sadler, very unfortunately, has been um, announced that he'll be uh, out for the entire season, which is really too bad. He was incredible to watch last year. Um, just super productive. Um, had really found his his um, kind of... Uh, formula to get guys out in in the majors which was really cool to watch and he did that very very well last year as did basically every other Mariners reliever um 
And then Ken Giles has been shut down temporarily with a tendon issue in his finger. Um, hopefully that's going to be a, a temporary thing, but it does uh, create some back into the bullpen intrigue because um, this was, you know, Paul Seawald's thing last year. And uh, you have all these kind of different potential guys there. Giles was the only guy who had legitimate closing experience and now he's done. So it's going to be, um, you know, up to this kind of bullpen by committee, which is kind of how it was last year. So we'll see. And hopefully Giles is back soon. Matt Brash was named the fifth starter, uh, basically beat out um, the George Kirby for, for getting there. Brash was uh, on the team for the for the late stretch last season, didn't actually get on the bump for, for any game action. Uh, so cool to see him, him do that. Matt Brash was the former player to be named later in the Taylor Williams trade um, of, uh, of, of 2019. I, I think it was 2019 um, where the Mariners made two trades with the Padres at the deadline. One was um, the, the Ty France deal. And then the other one was this trade. The Mariners traded Taylor Williams. You want to know what's up with Taylor Williams? He is uh, on the San Francisco Giants AAA team. He's had a minor league deal with the Giants a couple weeks ago. So I think that one uh, worked out for the Mariners. And Brash has uh, really became a, uh, I don't know, nerd baseball Twitter favorite for the shape of his pitches. Uh, his UFO slider really... Um, sweeping from that right to left action um, to to really devastate hitters uh, looked incredible in in the spring training work that I saw. Was able to to mix in a bunch of different stuff. Kind of has a, a curve thing going too, and uh, fastball changeup to to go with that. So it should be a fun pit player to uh, to keep tabs on there. Um, but uh, I'll talk later about how it's it's the Mariners need reinforcements on the starting pitching front, and then it's also a positive sign. Um, and a sign that you will see him this year with George Kirby. George Kirby was also lights out in spring training. Um, the stuff looks great. And uh, <laughs> similar to Kings Court and you know Maple Grove and all this left field chicanery that has happened for, uh, for, for Mariners pitchers over the years, I do feel like George Kirby is destined to be the next victim there with a bunch of uh, uh, IPA-loving Seattleites dressing up in Kirby costumes in, in left field every time he starts. And Frankly, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I, I can't wait for, for him to, to pitch because he is uh, seemingly a huge baller. Um, the player to be named later in the Jesse Winker trade ended up being Connor Phillips. This is one where I would normally defer to Phil in terms of prospect talk. But uh, from what I've heard, Connor Phillips is a project and uh, a player who uh, a team like the Reds, who's starting fresh, looking for home run swings is great for them for the Mariners not necessarily what they need um, to, to, to kind of foster that so hopefully that doesn't come back and bite us and um, we will miss Brandon Williamson he was more of the sure thing in that deal for sure but um, instead we'll keep tabs on Phillips and then uh, the Mariners also decided to keep three catchers instead of Billy Hamilton um, as the uh, the extra outfielder there I feel it's a bit redundant um, I understand the value of keeping Tom Murphy Cal Raleigh and Luis Torrens all up on the on the roster individually. Tom Murphy, kind of an emotional leader of this club, very you know veteran presence, has been the catcher for the past few years, has a good rapport. Um, I'm imagining, kind of assuming that, but just by nature of him being around more uh, with with Marco Gonzalez um, and with Chris Flexen uh, for for you know pitching with them the last year, but um, you know his his bat has really struggled right behind him, Cal Raleigh is much more of a prospect and, and could become something greater, but Tom Murphy blocks his his uh, his, his path to regular at-bats and regular catching opportunities. 
but Cal Raleigh was really bad last year, so Tom Murphy's probably better in the short term. And then Luis Torrens is the best bat of that bunch. I think um, he is kind of a, a catcher in air quotes. I think he's going to DH a bunch. He might play some first, might play some third, um, maybe even left field. I don't know, but he's just such a good bat and so much better than than uh, than uh, Raleigh and uh, with Murphy that uh, maybe he's just coming in. You know, Mariners are down two in the sixth inning. He's coming in. Uh, you know, defense be damned at that point, and uh, let's try and score some runs. So. It makes sense why each one of them would be on the roster, but all three together, blocking Billy Hamilton, who you feel like could win, win this this team some games with his speed on the base paths and outfield defense, um, is a little confusing. So hopefully, that is not a consistent uh, theme. But Billy Hamilton hanging out in AAA. So if the Mariners really want to uh, to amend that and to bring him up, uh, he can uh, he can come up anytime. So. That's that. Well, I've been going for 20 minutes. So I have uh, had this thing prepped with Phil where we were going to do uh, Mariners Mad Libs. I had nine fill-in-the-blank situations with uh, this Mariners team, and uh, I had prepared my thoughts for those. So I will go ahead and share those with you. Um, and these are completely arbitrary. I made all of these up. But uh, as I opened that beer, I realized I have not had a single sip of it. So give me the one second to enjoy my Stone Cold Steve Austin lager here. Tastes like denim. Um, no, it's actually very good. But the first Mariners Mad Lib, the player you're most excited about, and this is the uh, non-Julio Rodriguez category. He already got his time. I'm excited to watch Jared Kelenic in year two. Um, and the word might be more anxious than excited um, because, you know, it's not pure optimism. There is some worry that um, he might continue to struggle or, or you know, have not uh, this, this amazing career like we all expected him to. But there was uh, definite signs of improvement from, from month to month last year and after he came back um, from his uh, stint in AAA. The flaws that he was exhibiting last year got better throughout the year. His swing and miss percentage was down, uh, kept going down month by month. He barreled the ball much more frequently throughout the year. His, uh, his barrel percentage in September was 18.4%. 18.4%, if it was extrapolated over the whole year and he held on to that, would have been fourth in baseball last year behind Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis, uh, Joey Gallo, and, uh, and, and ahead of uh, Jared Kelenic's, like idol, Bryce Harper. Um, so Kelenic was hitting the ball very hard by the end of last year, which is a great sign um, for his, you know, the, the power that we expected out of him. Um, as a prospect and he also started lifting the ball finally this spring it was a big part of him figuring out figuring it out last year was him uh, driving the ball up and getting his launch angle up and really uh, starting to do damage into the uh, the deep corners or the deep pockets of, of, of stadiums so excited to see Jared Kelenic for um, all those reasons and uh, just you know it's gonna happen where he just rips out of his jersey accidentally at some point yeah where his biceps just overcome uh, polyester and, and cotton and whatever <laughs> whatever jerseys are made of. I have no idea. Uh, the player I'm most worried about is uh, kind of a catch-all, and it's really the whole bullpen, but I'm going to put it on Diego Castillo. Um, last year's bullpen was just so good and was really the strength of this team is to be able to hang on to leads and keep the team in games, and then the team kind of figures out ways to win with also some uh, very unsustainable clutch hitting in last year, so that might be part of it too, but you can't really put clutch hitting on person like you can with with the bullpen um so castillo uh you know casey sadler is already down for the year ken giles is already snake bit 
Um, so it's basically in our long journey west who will get dysentery uh, as we head for the Oregon Trail. Um, and I have Castillo is kind of earmarked as the biggest regression candidate in a bullpen full of them, it's partly because his regression started as soon as he came to Seattle from Tampa in that trade last year. Um, the things that went up for Diego Castillo when he uh, moved from, from Tampa to Seattle, ERA, on-base percentage, walks per nine, and home runs per nine. The things that went down for Diego Castillo, his strikeouts per nine, so he's striking out less guys uh, on a per inning basis, and then his BABIP went down, which if you listen to Roughly a Podcast long enough, you know that uh, down BABIP means that you're actually getting lucky. Um, so for Castillo to, to have all of these things go down, uh, or for, have all of these things go up and his BABIP was down, not a good sign. Uh, and it's just, I was looking at uh, fan graphs and what they projected from a war perspective for all of the Mariners bullpen guys, kind of the, the core four from last year. We have Castillo, Drew Steckenrider, Paul Seawald, and Anthony Mashevich. Diego Castillo last year for the Mariners had 0.7 war. Steckenrider, 1.3. Seawald, 1.4. Mashevich, 0.4. Uh, 2022 fan graphs wars projections, Castillo, 0.2, so down 0.5. Steckenrider, 0.1, so down 1.2. Seawald from 1.4 to 0.9. Mishevich from 0.5 to 0.1. So um, the Fangraph's projections of how these guys are going to rebound and build off of that is not an upward trajectory, but rather uh, them coming down to earth a little bit, which is um, a tad scary. And I can't say that that's too surprising, just given how good those guys were last year. I mean, all four of those guys, Castillo struggled a little bit, but uh, second rider and Seawald especially were just nails and to expect them to do that when that's not necessarily their pedigree might be a little hard um, so we shall see but that's going to be a key part of this season is the bullpen being somewhere near as good as they were last year and that's a tall order um, so speaking of the bullpen the player who have a heroic season out of nowhere as Paul Seawald did this past year will be blank I said Matt Festa and Festa is Spanish for Paul Seawald Totally kidding. But Matt Festa was a seventh-round pick for the Mariners in 2016. Um, he had kind of floated around the organization. He actually pitched on the very bad 2019 Mariners um, in, in you know kind of junk, random appearances throughout the year, as many pitchers did. Uh, Festa had Tommy John right before the pandemic started. If you remember, Kendall Graveman also had Tommy John and came back and was a much more uh, electric pitcher as a result. So. Uh, Matt Festa, in addition, you know, it's not just like you get Tommy John and you're all of a sudden great at pitching. It's not like Rookie of the Year, that movie with, um, I don't know, that one kid plays for the Cubs. But anyways, you do a lot of rehab and, you know, some sort of elbow magic and, you know, whatever helps figure it out. Uh, you kind of unlock, you can unlock a lot of velocity with your pitches. And that's what happened with, with Festa. He's found an extra five miles an hour on his fastball, uh, has changed his slider, which again, Spanish for Paul Seawald. Sounds familiar. That's kind of what happened with Seawald is that his his fastball elevated um, in terms of velocity and his slider started to become a really effective pitch. And the Mariners just owned in on that. They just said, this is what we are going to have you throw. Festa, last year in AAA, struck out 31 of the 86 batters he faced, which is 36%. And of those 86, walked three of them. So that's extremely efficient um, and exactly the type of player that the Mariners want. In AAA in 2019, so when Festa was pre-Tommy John, he had a strikeouts per nine of 9.68 and a walks per nine of 4.1. AAA of 2022, 
strikeout rate of 13.08, walk rate of 1.69. So he is um, a very much a changed man in that same level at least, and now it's just going to be uh, can he deliver that same level of um, success or something similar to it uh, at the major league club. So he has made the the opening day roster, and um, you know we'll 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 see. But certainly seems like a very similar Seawald narrative to what we heard or what we saw with with, with Seawald last year. Another guy that who could be. Um, a possibility on this is Taylor Trammell, um, who's down in AAA, actually just hit a home run last night. Super fun guy to watch, kind of brings a lot of the, the elements that this club might be missing. Speed, outfield defense, um, and energy and power. Um, certainly not the best, uh, you know, uh, command the zone uh, on base guy, but in a late game situation, um, you can do a lot worse with, than Taylor Trammell. So I would bet strongly that he is on the club at some point. It's, it's just kind of a when thing. Uh, but uh, he's a guy that could deliver some impact um, at some point this year. Uh, fourth one here at the deadline, the Mariners will no- most be in need of a starter. Um, as it stands, the Mariners rotation, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez, and Matt Brash. I think uh, Gilbert or Flexen and Marco would be switched there in order, but um, it's it's never five guys. It's just never. Even, even an incredibly healthy year, it's never five guys. You always need spot starts and extended extended absence starts and you know um so it's it's not going to be five the mariners are going to have a lot of starters and even the good teams need a lot of starters last year's playoff teams uh the atlantic the atlanta braves who won it had 11 guys start games last year houston astros had nine boston 10 milwaukee 10 san francisco 13 the dodgers had 19 guys start games for them last year uh the Cardinals 13, the White Sox 9, the Rays 15, the Yankees 15. That was an average of 12.4 for those 10 playoff teams. So um, it's not just going to be those five. They're going to have to come you figure out you know starts from, from other places. Certainly George Kirby will be up at some point. Justice Sheffield, I think, will get a crack at things. Um, you know, Rowanis Elias is around for, for, for those types of things in the organization again. So it's gonna it's gonna you know be at least those three plus maybe some bullpen maybe some deadline acquisition um, type situations to really fill in all uh, what we got from Tyler Anderson last year. Also, definitely I think we're gonna need some speed, um, outfield defense for late game situations, maybe some power. I mean I, I don't think that that's ever uh, in short supply in today's uh, uh, today's version of baseball. Um, so we'll see about that, and then also maybe a lefty out of the pen. Currently, the only lefties out of the pen that the Mariners have are Anthony Mashevich, regression candidate, and Justice Sheffield, who needs to figure some things out. So um, they kind of need that uh, that lefty specialist for um, the occasional lefty who can really really hurt you. So um, we'll see if they get that. Uh, fifth one here, Mariners Twitter will be fighting over the following all season. I think the extension of J.P. Crawford, the Mariners have decided to not extend J.P. Crawford's contract. I think he's done after next year, um, or he'd be out of arbitration after next year. Might be wrong on that, uh, but uh, currently he stands without a contract extension. Certainly seems like he could get one because of how um, you know he's a, a very good player, or he's he is a good player with flaws, especially in the bat. You know, certainly could upgrade from a power perspective. His defense is outstanding, as we all know. But, um, you know, can you get similar or, you know, marginally worse defense uh, and then upgrade huge in power for a guy like Xander Bogarts in next year's free agency class? Um, And so J.P. Crawford's future with the club, I feel like, should be something that uh, will be an interesting point going forward this whole season. 
whether to trade Mitch Haniger uh, might be another one, especially if Kyle Lewis comes back healthy and it seems like he can fill that uh, fill that right field role. Is Haniger somewhat expendable because you can't play all of those guys? You can't play Kellenic, Julio, Mitch, uh, Kyle Lewis, and Jesse Winker, and and those might be you know your five best bats um, or five of your best bats in the lineup, and you can't play all of them every day. That's certainly interesting, but uh, you also have to factor in there that that means that Kellenic and Julio have uh, done what they're supposed to do this year, and we don't need um, to keep Mitch and, and Cal Lewis's bat to protect them. So that's that. Uh, and then Tom Murphy's value. I think Tom Murphy um, is just going, by, by nature of what he does, is probably just always going to disappoint from a statistical perspective, from a production standpoint. So, um, you know, that, that's going to be something where if this Mariners team is lagging in offense or unable to put things together, um, Murphy's role in the team, uh, fairly or unfairly, might be called into question. The Mariner who will lead the M's in saves is Andres Munoz. This is basically just a reason to talk about this guy because we have never seen him pitch, um, I, think, I think, maybe one inning last year, maybe two. Uh, he is phenomenal. Um, he is uh, huge. He's, he's an enormous kid. He throws 100. Very fun to watch. The ball just explode out of his hands. Uh, has a slider to boot. With Ken Giles hurt um, and everyone else kind of being situational or, you know, <laughs> maybe just coming back to normal this year, Munoz's stuff kind of um, stands above the rest of the, of the, of the crowd there, potential late-inning guys for the Mariners. So that would be my bet. And uh, regardless, it'd be fun to watch him pitch. Mariners' team success depends on blank. Scoring five runs a game is my answer here. Every World Series champ since 2016, so the one before that would be the Kansas City Royals, who were like a complete anomaly and did things in a very funky, fun way. Every World Series champ since then has scored at least five runs a game over the course of a season. Last year's Mariners, 98 times last year, they scored four or fewer runs that's just 60, or that is 60.4% of their games. So they, they fell short of that mark uh, almost 100 times last year. And it just feel like if, if the pitching regresses, as it, it, it's kind of inevitable that it will for this Mariners team, um, it's still a good staff, but the offense has to step up. Um, and it has to take that next level. And the acquisitions that they made, Suarez, Winker, um, you know, Julio stepping up big, um, that, uh, that is on the, you know, Adam Frazier, that's on the right path to doing that. And just looking at this year's opening day roster versus last year's, go back and look at it. It's, it's absolutely hilarious how this, this, this team won 90 games last year, given that on the opening day roster, uh, Jose Marmaleos, Sam Haggerty, Taylor Trammell, currently AAA, Jake Fraley traded, Dylan Moore, still on the team, but, uh, was a, more of a featured part of this year, of last year's team and the year before's team. You know, those guys are just... I hate to say, it, but they're, you know they're they're kind of quad A guys, um, and and Trammell has some hope, and um, and Fraley does too, I guess. But you know, it, those guys are bench guys on good teams, if at all. And so for the Mariners to be in such a good place, where it's only Dylan Moore out of this group that's still a part of the team, um, shows that they've really improved uh, their their depth, even through adding Abraham Toro last year. Um, they've just you know really bolstered out solid quality bats in this lineup and on the bench where they should be in a better place to hit that five runs a game mark. The Mariners will finish blank in the AL West. I said second um, because I am realistic. I don't think this team is as good as the Astros are, um, but I also just can't get over the mental block of the Angels. I can't 
in my head believe a world where the angels actually deliver on expectations and so i have the mariners as second but realize that the angels could uh could do it texas also spent a lot of money they're not trying to be bad and so um you know they are they have the talent in theory to to contend and to push but i still feel like that roster is um well behind where the mariners well, not well behind behind where the mariners are with the exception of you know top end talent like marcus simeon and uh, Corey Seager, who they went and got this this past offseason. Pakoda, who does you know great work with uh, uh, projections, has the Mariners finishing third in the division, 83 wins, I believe. Fangraphs also has us in third, below 500, which, you know, come on, Fangraphs. Meg Rowley, Mariners fan, at least she was born that way, uh, <laughs> runs that website, should be, um, I don't know, it's just inexcusable to me to have us being below 500. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Houston's still amazing, and... LA is LA. They're they're loaded. Um, their pitching is still going to, I think, hold them back. But you know, if you get healthy Trout, healthy Otani, um, you know, that's an offense unto itself. So who knows with them? But um, anything is possible there. My ninth thing here, my Jay Buner just snorted the entire first baseline and has a wacky take for us in the Root Sports booth. Uh, my prediction in that category, I guess, is that Adam Frazier will win the AL batting title. Sounds ambitious, but there's some logic here. Frazier hit 393 this spring. Last year hit 305 between his time with Pittsburgh and with uh, and with San Diego after he was traded um, at the deadline there. From April to August of last year, he hit 318 for Pittsburgh. Um, then he got traded, like I said, and had a terrible August with San Diego. Uh, his strikeout rate went way up. That Padres team kind of just fell apart. Um, and then it was like, man, what a what a bust of a trade. But the rest of the way, from September and October on, Frazier hit 318 again for her, for the Padres. So he kind of stabilized after he was traded. So 318 is kind of exactly where Adam Frazier's like you know carrying point is. That's where he was for most of last season, save the terrible um, September, or, yeah, terrible August that he had with uh, with San Diego. Last year's AL leader Yuli Gurriel for Houston hit 319. So you know 318 if Frazier does it again. Uh, is good enough to get him right in the thick of it for for the AL crown, uh, but maybe with some more more stability um, and with a different approach and with a much better lineup than he had with Pittsburgh and more protection and hopefully seeing better pitches. Uh, you know, Frazier could be in contention there for the batting crown. It would be cool to see him do it. You know, he's he just slaps the ball around. He has a really kind of simple approach. Um, you know, you're not going to see him really driving into gaps. You're not going to see him trying to, to to mash and work on you know. Uh, forcing a launch angle it's just uh sea ball hit ball kind of a, a randy win type player um so it'll be fun to to see him um do that and uh i'm on record ale batting crown will go to to adam frazier so that's nine take another big swig of the uh the stone cold lager and get us in, into some uh regularly scheduled pl- programming here with uh what we usually talk about or how we usually do things around here on uh, on roughly a podcast. The uh, Eric Burns bike ride of the week, in this case two weeks, since Phil and I have uh, have, have potted again. I originally said none because good vibes only. Uh, Eugenio can can take us here. All right, guys, good vibes only. Don't forget it. Stop it. Thank you. Uh, but I also added target field. Uh, the Mariners are not playing right now as they should be playing because the Twins do not have a retractable roof. Um, it, it's cold and rainy in Minnesota right now. Um, and going, I look back on uh, 
why this is the case. When the Twins were developing their stadium, Target Field, um, the Minnesota State Legislator, Hennepin County in Minneapolis, um, and the Twins all agreed that the cost of a retractable roof, which would be roughly $100 million, roughly, um, was too much money. So they didn't want it to, uh, to go forth on that expenditure um, and have the retractable roof, which would help a lot in April and October when <laughs> some, some games get played. And for that reason, the Mariners uh, got rained out today. Left field at uh, Target Stadium, though, has the Budweiser deck. <laughs> they, they don't have a retractable roof, but they do have the only bonfire in Major League Baseball. Uh, I guess there's just an open flame that's going on up there uh, at left field of, of Target Field um, to keep warm, I guess. I don't know. That sounds very Minnesota uh, to just have an open an open flame going up there um, to, to go watch Kirby Puckett and the, the freaking Twins. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. Bon, no no retractable roof bonfire um yeah i don't know if i'd make that trade for for t-mobile park when i add a bonfire i don't know where you put it um kid valley i guess become becomes a bonfire pretty much every game as they're lighting burgers on fire but that's neither here nor there uh and well, then the mean, golden no hydro to certainly could give it here. to uh gosh jerry depoto for a great off season to scott service for all his leadership to I don't know, Rick Riz for being awesome, whatever you wanted to give. Julio Rodriguez certainly himself deserves it for 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 making this team, and I think that goes without saying. I'm gonna go one layer back on Julio Rodriguez and certainly can credit his parents for, you know, the genetic lottery of, of what they've what they've produced here in terms of both the baseball player and, and the young man. But I'm gonna go with Eddie Toledo. Eddie Toledo was the Mariners director of Dominican operations, um, or is the Mariners director of Dominican operations uh, for for you know their their operation of the uh, the Dominican Academy that or the academy in the Dominican Republic that they have um, to develop um, players and to 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 scout and things like that. He said in January of 2017 to then Mariners head of international scouting Tim Kistner, he said, "I just saw a player." that I would give every dime in our international pool budget for. He was talking about Julio Rodriguez, a 16-year-old who he had just seen play, uh, who looks nothing looked nothing like he does now then. Um, and so for him to say that, and that triggered the whole Mariners' interest in, in, in Julio Rodriguez, them being able to sign him and uh, get us to this beautiful point here where we have this uh, this amazing young man who... Is ours to watch for hopefully some some great amount of time. So, thank you, Eddie Toledo. Great name, uh, great eye for talents. Clearly, and uh, if you are even remotely to thank for for getting Julio to Seattle, uh, you deserve the Golden Hydro and then some, um, Eddie. So, that's it for me. I just went 42 minutes solo. That's kind of uh, preposterous, and what scares me about how long this podcast would have been if we had. Uh, long-winded Smeraldo here on the other end, but uh, you know we surprise ourselves sometimes. And uh, I'll close this out by just saying, let's go Mariners. Extremely excited about this season. Extremely excited to lose a lot of sleep watching uh, this team play as an East Coast-based fan. Um, but uh, it feels really good to have baseball back, and especially when a team um, is, is on the cusp as we are. So let's get it, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>